What's up, everybody? Yav Tsuchurjevich here, host of Millennial Manhood, and today we got a special episode for you. Uh, as you might recall, in February, we released a sneak peek of Adam's podcast, Raise Your Glass, and it only took Adam 10 months to pick it back up. So long story short, and we talk about this in the podcast, not this portion, but the actual episode that'll come out for Raise Your Glass. Uh, it was just hard to figure out the technical aspects of how to do a, a multi-group pod, podcast with multiple mics, etc. We finally got it figured out. So what we got today is a sneak peek, about 20 minutes of the first episode wanted to give you guys a little bit of a heads up on what we'll be talking about on there and quite frankly uh to get you prepared for the episodes when they come out so it's on spotify uh google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you want to have a podcast you can google raise your glass uh with adam roddy or you can just look up adam roddy for example in your apple podcast and it should pop up uh, i'll also have the link below so go ahead and subscribe before the first episode actually comes out so first episode is i think maybe an hour and 45 minutes and uh this piece of the conversation is maybe 18 20 minutes so again check it out i think it'll be great uh we're working out some of the kinks again but the conversations are going to be fun i was on this first episode so it was rj who i interviewed i think pro- maybe one of my first 10 episodes uh and then obviously adam who's the host i won't be in every single episode uh, neither will RJ, I don't think. The only consistent factor will be Adam, since it's Raise Your Glass with Adam Roddy. But uh, I think the conversation will be fun. Uh, I think just overall the topics that will get covered are going to be fun. I think I'll be a semi-regular. So I wanted to broadcast it and popularize it here on uh, Millennial Manhood. So subscribe, uh, hit the like button, uh, hit five stars, which while you're at it, hit five stars on Millennial Manhood. And hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, so I bear with me. I think I, uh, this just came to me, and I just—it's it, kind of a weird way of looking at it. But let's let's just dive into this real quick. What if we put together something similar to the Justice League? <laughs> oh, I'm in. League? Okay, I'm so in. bear with me. I know it sounds weird. That sounds weird. But you take, let's say, you know, uh, a bad billionaire like um, uh, Bruce Wayne who. Inevitably, his business causes all these problems, and then he goes rogue and tries to fight crime and correct his business mistakes. Okay. Uh, then we have a farm boy from Kansas. We take Superman. You know, somebody we take basically all, of, and you take a, a woman from the Amazon who never knew the concept of money, just simply uh, was fighting for her people. And like, what if we put together a group of people, which is the way that I think that uh, Yavitz uh, explained it earlier, which is the, what the Rockefellers did, is like keep the money together, keep the family together, or sorry, sorry, keep the family together, and so the money will then follow. And so, what if we had a group of people from that was uh, it was diverse backgrounds, uh, for instance, people in rural rural areas, we have people in urban areas, we have people with large net worths, people with small net worths that could come together with one good with, you know, I would say virtually unlimited because there is definitely a limited amount of money with the billionaires, but then had that same mentality that Bill Gates took on the universities to give education is like, hey, we're going to use this money for humanitarian good. So it's basically like a charity similar to United Way or whatever that is simply there for innovation and thought processes and think tanks for common goods like 
fixing the homeless problem or, you know, the waterless toilet or whatever that is. I, I think that that's the only way to do it because it's like limiting the wealth doesn't seem to help. And then letting it run freely doesn't seem to help. So what if, and then not trusting the government is a, is an obvious, uh, you know, crux of the argument, then we all, we can't just trust one person. So maybe combining those, I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can think. I don't like a small meaning like a hundred people that decides how, how to use a portion of the taxation we get from billionaires. So we tax them and say, Hey, it's going to this group of people, diverse group of people. You have elections to that board or whatever to give that, you know, <laughs> some good uh, qualifications to get into that. But I think that that would at least eliminate one problem. Now, here's the other thing that I was listening from this documentary I think is big is we limit tax loopholes. So you don't allow billionaires to give unlimited funds and get the tax breaks towards political gain. Like for instance, um, 501c4s, which is the tax uh, for civil or the, um, the nonprofits for civil use. So they can dump all of this money, get tax deductions, and then have political gain. If you want political gain and political influence, it's got to cost you something. So those would be the can two things I would say solutions. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay you know i mean back to the you know when i when i think about this circumstance you know in our society let me make something very clear i don't think billionaires are necessarily good people okay sure. it, that's not the argument argument i'm making i'm not even making an argument for billionaires as in whether or not they deserve their wealth i don't know quite frankly i don't care my whole thing is um keep the government out of my life yeah, I'm not talking about the yeah, government. I'm talking about a group of your people that we elect that has nothing to do with the U.S. government as a whole. It cannot go towards you know military spending. It cannot go towards Social Security spending or anything like that. It's just but are you not for in effectively use. creating just a new government elected body? Sure, one that does not have any uh, rule over yeah. the people. So it's basically a mandatory chair. Yeah, I'd be much more willing to support something like that than Uncle Sam saying we're taking more money from whoever. Oh, okay. So you can go, you know, drone U.S. citizens overseas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have a group of people elected by the people who have no governance of the people where most of the taxation and the money that uh, supplies said group of people is from billionaires. The question is, how do you get the money from yeah, the billionaires yeah. if you don't have taxing power? So what is, is it a donation from the government to that group? So it would have to be, yeah, like a separate taxation manda mandated by the government, but that the government doesn't hold and, uh, and own the money. Well, let me ask you this. So, um, you know, ask any... A serviceman or woman who's fought in uh, overseas, like in Afghanistan or Iraq, one of the things that all of them will tell you is they've witnessed the, you know, we bring a tank to Afghanistan and then instead of bringing the tank back, we just blow it up there uh, because it's cheaper um, to than flying, than flying it. it back and because they need to keep churning new things up so that they don't lose their budget the next year. Um, when the hell has the government ever taken any of our money and been like, here you go? take it back like i just don't see i just feel like that's there would be way too much corruption in that system um that's just my initial instinct uh 
Possibly, but let, let's instead of talking about practicality, let's stay in the dream world for for a second. How do you feel that it would work? Would that inevitably promote uh, humanitarian good in and of itself? Um, I mean, possibly. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's still elected officials, it's still people holding a lot of money. I mean, the, the example I cited earlier, granted, was the United States government doing it. But the whole purpose of the endeavor in Puerto Rico was humanitarian aid. And so even even with noble intentions, with elected officials and people still holding a lot of money, there's still a huge um, chance of, of just massive corruption. Somebody gets in, it, it comes down to using the money for, for X, Y, or Z. They all seem good on their face, but option Z also puts $300,000 into a contractor's uh, pocket to, to go half – way do a job that nobody finds out about until 10 years later Mm -hmm. and so it's it's still um susceptible to some of the same flaws i feel like that the united states government gets hit with all the time Mm -hmm. you're probably right i was thinking that the way you could do that is minimize uh profit earned off of contracting as well as um salaries or money earned from being a part of the board and you see the same thing with charities too i mean how many foundations and i'm using finger quotes right now not that anybody can see me but how many different foundations whether it's the clinton foundation or or whatever foundation that gets caught all the time in and they're supposed to be pure charities in doing very nefarious underhanded things um and it's it's just it's just tough um and these things usually don't come to light until long after the damage is done and you know someone's money has been misappropriated or, or mishandled or abused mm-hmm. yeah you're not wrong i i agree that it's flawed i'm just trying to think that that at least my latter point of saying we have to limit the amount of political power that billionaires have by limiting 501c4s is the only thing that i can think that has initial value for the middle class and the lower class being heard equally yeah. I, I think another thing that would help too is a lot of smaller countries, granted their their countries are um their militaries essentially being subsidized by the United States, so their their expenses are a lot lower, but a lot of countries have surpluses in their budget. And if there's a way to incentivize our legislative officials, I would be perfectly fine with paying a congressman or senator or a uh director of of one of the, the various executive agencies of the United States bonuses, even substantial bonuses, if they were to come at the end of a, a, a fiscal year um, for their agency or department or whatever and say, actually, our budget was this and we came in 300000 under budget or we saved it this much and it is now sitting in this fund um, versus just being spent on hundreds of thousands of dollars extra in this area because we wanted to make sure we got the same, uh, the same allotments the following year. Um, and so even at that level, um, to kind of prevent some of these inadequacies and, and inefficiencies and address that one point you mentioned, RJ, I'd be perfectly fine with with some senator or congressperson, no matter how much I might personally despise them, if they were to be able to come in under budget and and feel like they are being a good steward of my money, yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with financially incentivizing that. Not to mention just getting a lot of the the undue influence of money out of politics. Because the first first lesson I ever learned in political science in undergrad, my very first class, we looked at campaigns and what are the primary determining factors of who wins an election. Um, 
Number one, every single time, and it's the strongest by a huge margin, is the campaign chest. How much money a campaign has. Um, generally speaking, whoever has the most money in their um, campaign budget, whoever's getting the most money funneled into them will win the majority of the time. Um, that's true at a local level. That's true at a federal level. It's kind of incredible how money is that big of a deciding factor. And so that that's a big problem that, you know, there's there's been bills, very well-known bills like Citizens United and stuff like that, that, that sought to address these kind of areas. But um, I think that's a big part of where it starts too. I'd have a lot more faith in the government if deciding factor of who won a specific seat somewhere wasn't solely dependent upon who got the most money funneled into their campaign. So it sounds like you're uh, on the same train I am limiting the amount of money that can go into 501c4s. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with re reducing the amount of individual contributions candidates can get. Some of the more extreme measures I've seen, which I don't know how much I agree with or not, talk about like capping the amount of money candidates can spend um, while they're running so that everybody just comes in at a certain amount. But... So here's a thought that I just uh, my evil brain was like uh, thinking how a billionaire would get around this like set up shell companies to then pay them so they don't their actual company doesn't can get around the the caps. I, I honestly feel like that it should cost them money to have political uh, say. Like instead of giving a tax reduction or tax deduction. Um, in a 501c4, it should be like, we are raising your tax bracket by every $100,000 you spend towards 501c4s, we raise it 5%. Something crazy like that, that would really hurt their overall budget if they are constantly spending money on said political campaigns. Yeah. Um, that I mean, that, that could definitely, I think, I think capping the individual contributions, I think it has the exact same effect that you just mentioned. I mean, how many different PACs and super PACs are out there? And a lot of them are multiple ones are all funded by the same group of people or business. They just all have different names. And so the money, instead of someone being gifted $100,000 for their campaign, they're being gifted, you know, four installments of $25,000 from virtually the same person or same company. And so, yeah, I think, I think capping it, the individual contribution amount only annoys the people who are doing it more. It doesn't actually hurt. It them. helps the attorneys uh, in that area. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The attorneys and the accountants are, they're happy. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't think that's very effective. Um, but so, so maybe it is something, maybe it's penalizing a little bit more. Maybe it's, or maybe um, not even just penalizing, maybe just not giving deductions. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, or, or you can, you know, you could even create a threshold where every U S citizen has the right to donate up to a certain amount of money um, with zero penalty. So let's say it's, I don't know, 10 grand per citizen. Every citizen just has the right to do that. And then anything over that, you know, you pay like a three to $1 fee. Yeah, but yep, that could possibly work. You, okay, so that's not that's not taxing wealth. That is taxing influence. You want influence? Yeah, that's what I it. agree with. Yeah, I like that actually. Did we just solve all the world's problems? <laughs> I think we solved one. Yeah, and the United States is basically the world, so I think we're good there. <laughs> oh my God. Tax influence. I agree with that. I'm a, I'm 100% down with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you want, you want influence. I mean, again, we put a threshold in place where everybody has the right to do it up to a certain point. I mean, Bill Gates might be worth, you know, a hundred billion dollars more than me, but his vote only counts as one. Right. So you want that influence. Now, all you're really doing is, you know, there's some sort of efficiency frontier that you could probably figure out. You just have to make the cost of influence so expensive to where it's not a whimsical action. Like you said, right now it's dirt cheap. You got a tax deduction for it. <laughs> so it, by making it more expensive, it's like the, it's like the old uh, Chris Rock joke talking about gun violence. He was like, don't get rid of guns. He said, make bullets $5,000 a pop. Yeah. Okay. And, and whoever's trying to kill you, they're going to think about it twice because they got the bullets on layaway. Right. Okay. The way so, so you just have to make it so expensive to uh, participate in that environment. But then again, maybe you could, then the other end of that spectrum is like, well, then the only people who will be able to have any influence are the ones who are the billionaires because they can afford to take that hit. So I don't know. That was just what came off the top of my mind. Yeah. About one of the only issues I could see see with this too is it's not 100% taking into account the spins that different major media organizations put on different candidates, even within the same party. And so there's a there's a small argument. I'm not saying it's it's one that would counteract this at all or even is comparable, but there's a small argument to be made that without some of this money, certain candidates who CNN or Fox or MSNBC would never give the time of day otherwise may actually get enough money to to put themselves out there in the way they want to do. Um, so yeah, that, that's I don't know. That's a whole separate issue. Is how do you how do you counteract the fact that depending on which news channel you're watching that day, they're playing hardball with one candidate for no reason and then completely glorifying another candidate because they have their favorites and they're claiming to be unbiased. Yeah, but like they're going to do that no matter what. Like on the Democratic side right now, like Tosi Gambari could literally solve world, world hunger and the media would still shit on her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, it's just a, like the, the Democratic Party has a vision in mind for a candidate that they want and she does not fit the mold. She does not pass the purity test. Yeah. Hence, she cannot be. And the lobbyists and the and the super PACs and all the people who've got an interest in that on that side of the aisle are pouring all this money into it to ruin her on that front. She freaking had, she was the most Googled person. During, I think it was during the second debate. Um, she was the most Googled person on stage, which full disclaimer, I love me some Tulsi. Um, and she had all the ads ready to go, ready to pump out you know, to, to, to get attention. And as, um, as the debate was starting, Google just shuts down her account. Yep. And they never gave an explanation why they never didn't. gave an explanation. So she's suing the shit out of them right now, which she should do because they were like, she was like, what, what the hell do you mean? You shut down my account during the debate with no explanation. Screw you. But yeah. that's part of, that is part of, she doesn't pass the purity test. Okay. She's not, She's not checking all the boxes that need to be checked that the special interest groups have in line for the candidate that they want. Hence, yep. they're going they did the same thing to Bernie uh, in yeah. the previous election. Yeah, so, so. It, it's, uh, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's probably a longer, longer conversation than this. I'm pretty, I'm pretty burnt out, guys. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, um, and and that that's probably a, a whole other conversation for another time too. I think that might be a good uh, topic for the for the next podcast is. Um, the role of these huge tech companies, one, in our daily lives, two, how they influence our perceptions, and, and three, how they're influencing politics right now. Because that wasn't that wasn't the United States government saying no to Tulsi. That was Google, a massive 
company, tech company that we probably use every single day, a lot of times a day, doing something that appears to be rather shady to to really heavily influence an election. 